0: Uh, today we are, let's see, the 11th of April, and uh, we are here today at Institut Biblique du Québec at the Bible College Chapel, and uh, so thank you so much for tuning in with us. Uh, let us know how things look, let us know how things sound. Last week we were at the theater, today we're over here, uh, so feedback, feedback, feedback is important, and uh, hit that share button whether you're watching on YouTube, or Facebook. You can also watch a feed on our website at citypointchurch.ca. Hit the Connect and Sermons, and you'll see a, a window open up that uh, is actually just our Facebook feed, but it comes into our website as well. Um, I'll mention quickly for you some uh, uh, prayer requests. Pray for our missionaries as usual, uh, Don and Marie-José and Michel and Louise Charbonneau, in, uh, who are in Haiti, and E.J. Toupe, who is in uh, downtown Toronto, just mentioning them quickly, and I love to, to just bring them to your attention every, every week, every Sunday. Uh, discipleship, remember the group that we have, Private Facebook Group, you are most welcome to join. I'm having a lot of fun with this group uh, weekly and pushing them and uh, helping them to grow in their faith and to learn to be disciples of Jesus, all right? There's no cost or anything to it, uh, but you will you will grow in this. So if you want to take the next step in your spiritual growth, go to our Facebook page. You just need a Facebook account, and you can join that group, all right? Thank you for your giving as usual, and uh, today we are all online, no machines, no people here except our faithful and loyal band, so you can give electronically, okay? Uh, announcement for you about gatherings and in-person and all of that. Um, and hopefully the slides are working this morning. I forgot a key piece of uh, equipment but hopefully my technicians got a solution there. Uh, our next in-person gatherings okay uh, put them on the screen you will get notes in your in your email and your smartphone so don't worry about remembering what I'm telling you right now, you will get reminded of this. But next week, we will be back at the theater. And uh, because of the new restriction, they brought it down to 25 people. We're going to do two runs, uh, 930 and 1030. Okay. And um, so you do need to register for this. We do need to keep an attendance list. Just go to our website, our homepage, and you will see buttons that you can click. Uh, People have already started doing that. If you're a little uncomfortable with the technology, just reach out to me and I will do it for you. Uh, it's quite easy to do, all right? So we have a 25-person limit for each run. We should be okay with that, but please register so that we know who is coming. We'll do 9.30, 10.30, back-to-back, with a stream. Probably we'll stream the 1030. We'll figure that out uh, when we get there, okay? But let's just say we'll do the 1030, because you're used to 1030 on the streaming audience, uh, so we'll do the 1030, okay? Uh, Parents, you were introduced to a tool last week um, called Making the Bible Come Alive, which is really the amount of labor that uh, has been done to produce this. uh, It's kind of like a really big series on uh, 40 different Bible characters It's amazing. So even if you didn't get the deck of cards last week... Uh, with the characters in them, all the content is online. So just go to makingthebiblecomealive.com and you've got content for younger children and for elementary school children. The cards just reinforce the content. Uh, So, you know, it's difficult to run kids ministry right now, obviously in person, but this is an amazing tool for parents to engage your kids. They've got everything in there, food. (laughs) You can even have food with some of the Bible lessons and crafts and um, uh, music and videos and all kinds of things to engage your kids uh, over whatever time, you know, we have and, until things get a little bit less restricted, okay? So uh, please avail yourself to that material and uh, and use it and i remind you, as families, adults, kids can all watch this. The Chosen TV series has begun uh, season number two. And uh, I did watch the episode last Sunday. I think they've got a new one coming out on Tuesday. So if you want good media, uh, you know, you can watch Netflix and Disney and all of that, but uh, you're going to run out of choices real quick, okay? The Chosen is an amazing uh, series that you can watch. Today we start a new series called Losing My Religion. You may remember the old song, I think it's from R.E.M., REM? REM did a song uh, called Losing My Religion in the 90s, really popular song, and uh, they still play it. Uh, Interesting thing that's going on today is that there is a movement of uh, what they call deconstructionism uh, that's happening in the evangelical church. And there are a number of uh, leaders, musicians, actors, um, pastors, teachers, writers, songwriters, um, athletes who have essentially rethought their faith and in many cases walked away from their faith, they have uh, as it were lost their religion and uh, they've walked in some cases completely away from Christianity and uh, this is called deconstructionism and it's quite popular right now and um, uh, there's a number of prominent people who have you know basically said goodbye to what they believed, and uh, so I'm playing on that, uh, what's going on right now in the culture. Um, but when, when we think about this whole thing of, of um, losing one's religion, there is a book in the Bible that deals with this, but in a bit of a different way, and it is the book of Hebrews in the Bible's New Testament, and that's where we're going to spend our time over the next few weeks, and we'll kind of walk through this very unique book um, in the New Testament. We don't know who wrote it. Uh, we know who its audience is, however, and it's a, it's a group, maybe a church, but certainly a group of believers in Jesus who were Hebrew, hence the title that we give it, Hebrews. And uh, they were being challenged in this letter. They're being encouraged in this letter. They're even being warned in this letter to keep on believing and to hold on to their faith and to not let it go, to not lose it. And at the same time, these folks were under an enormous amount of pressure uh, because coming to Jesus for these people, first century Jewish people, was a very controversial thing. We see this all over the New Testament, all over the Gospels, Uh, It starts the whole Jesus thing starts within the Jewish religion, if you will, and there's a lot of controversy. Jesus makes a lot of enemies, uh, in particular those in the ultra-religious crowd, if you will, the scribes who copied the Old Testament, the teachers of the law, who who taught the Old Testament, uh, the chief priests who controlled the whole running of the temple. Uh, Jesus was controversial. Jesus was making messianic claims. Jesus was doing miracles. And they had an enormous issue with this. And we sometimes don't understand that and I don't understand why. I've tried to to break that down in different ways over different series that we've done over the last few months. But Um, essentially, he's coming in there and he's really rocking the religious boat. Um, They think of him ultimately as a deceiver. You see this at the end of his life uh, when he's buried. They, They say, well, you better put a guard there. They go to Pontius Pilate and they say, put a guard there because that deceiver said that he would rise from the dead. So put a guard there lest his band of merry men, his disciples, go and try and steal the body, and then we've got an even greater deception on our hands. So they viewed him essentially as a deceiver. How could he claim to be the Messiah? The Messiah cannot be God. He's making weird statements about the temple. He's doing these miracles. Uh, he's hanging around with ungodly people, with sinful people. He's breaking the Sabbath rules. He's claiming to be uh, the Lord of the Sabbath. All of these things drove them, uh, got them very, very upset with him. And so he's viewed that way uh, by certainly a section within the Jewish religion, as we would call it today. We see a classic example of this in Saul of Tarsus, who we call Paul sometimes. And he's a Jewish man, very, very strict. He's a Pharisee, Uh, he's very holy, he's very learned, Uh, he's very uh, strong, he's very proud, he's very intelligent, and he is of this group that detests the new movement around Jesus. Uh, in his view, Jesus would also be a deceiver, and he's so aggressive that he tries to stop the movement in its tracks. Uh, he can't produce a body or anything, and so what he does is he he tries to persecute Christians, brings them to jail, has them executed on occasion, and we know the story of how his life got completely flipped and turned upside down. It reminds me of the old Will Smith uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, his life got flipped, turned upside down, okay? That's what happened to Saul. It totally flipped, and he it literally makes a 180-degree turn and becomes a preacher, an evangelist, a church planter, a missionary for Jesus. It's quite the change. Contra- very controversial. These people in a sense, had to hold on to their faith, but also lose their religion. They had to realize that everything that they knew and understood up till then wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to save them. It brought them to the point of Jesus and and foreshadows Jesus, but it wasn't enough. So they're under a lot of pressure, these, these Hebrew believers Um, And so we're going to walk through this and uh, hopefully learn some things about holding on to faith, why we should, and uh, what difference that makes in our lives. So we're just going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 today. Uh, This is the beginning and the introduction really to the, the whole book. I think it's 13 chapters long. And the title of the message today is simply, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And you see right off the bat, uh, the author, he doesn't identify himself. I suspect it's Paul uh, because of the way he writes and the, the, the style seems very, very much like other things in the New Testament that Paul wrote, but he doesn't identify himself. And this is how he starts it. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers. How did he do it? through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, imagine that 2,000 years ago, he writes that. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Just stop there for a moment. It's up. It's an amazing introduction here and very relevant 20 centuries later because we all want God to speak. Everybody wants to hear God's voice. And tomorrow night, I'll get back on uh, with our live Q&A, and the lead question is going to be that, how does God speak today in the 21st century? Well, the author of Hebrews, first century, he says, this is how God spoke in the past. He spoke through the prophets, so you have a big body of literature in the Old Testament that's that's prophetic uh, in many times and at many times and in various ways, and you certainly can survey the Old Testament and see that over and over and over again. But then he says, in these last days, presumably he thought that He was moving toward the end of time, Uh, and that's the first century. Can you imagine? (laughs) Today, we're 20 centuries later. In these last days, as if to say, here's the end of it. This This is how this all culminates. This is the way that he speaks now by his son. Implication. You want to hear God speak. You want to know what God's saying. You've got to look at his son. You've got to look at Jesus, what Jesus is, who he is, what he's saying, and so on. He is the final statement. He is the final word. I'm not dismissing uh, the prophetic. I believe that the prophetic happens today, but is not on a par with uh, the scripture. It is not on a par with Jesus and what Jesus says. I get very nervous about people who make statements and predictions, and they, they think that they've got something new to say. <laughs> they think that they've got something that's not in the Bible that somehow should be added to it, you know. Uh, everybody needs to read such and such a book because it's not in the Bible, and it's really important. And it's almost like it's on a par with the Bible. It's almost like they know something that Jesus doesn't even know. No, uh, not according to this author. He's saying the final word is from the Son. It's from Jesus. That is how God wants to speak. He wants to speak through Him. You say, you already answered your question for tomorrow night. Well, you'll see tomorrow night. So, uh, whom He appointed heir and and, um, of all things and through whom He made the universe. So, we've got to realize how important it is to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus said, because what he's saying today is no different than what he said 2,000 years ago. It's the same message echoed through the halls of time. It's the same thing. Uh, we're running around looking for other voices. This author here is saying you only need one. You need the voice of Jesus. That's God speaking to you, and he's the final word. Wow, that puts him in a pretty big place. And look how this author wants to prove this to us and how he wants to build a case, which is what he does in chapter 1 and then he's going to start warning them in chapter 2, but he wants to build a case as to why it's so important for you to be a a student, a Listener, uh, disciple of this Jesus, and he starts building his case. Verses two and three, and he says he is the heir of all things. He, in other words, he will inherit all the things that God has. He's the heir. It's like in the in that day when you had an heir. You know, you'd have like the firstborn son, and they would be the heir of the estate, uh, not not necessarily dissimilar to, to, to today. And so right away, the author's putting Jesus in this unique place. He is the heir of what? All things. Man, that's a pretty big place. And through whom he made the universe. So everything that has been made has been made through Jesus he's establishing him there as the heir of all things as the creator of all things when he uses that term universe he's trying to refer to the cosmos everything uh, the sun verse 3 is the is the radiance of God's glory wow i mean that's a that's a very very high place. He is the exact representation of God's being. He sustains all things. What's all things mean? It means all things. He sustains all things by His powerful Word. In other words, if Jesus says it should be, it is. If Jesus says it shouldn't be, It isn't. He sustains all things. Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes this very similar language. He says that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. In him, all things hold together. So this, wow, is putting him in this very high place equal uh, to God. and and he continues this this argument, and he says, after he had provided purification for sins, that's kind of Hebrew language for his death on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Wow. Sat down next to God in this position of ultimate authority. And then he, he starts talking about Angels uh, in the same breath, and there—that's probably because in that time there may have been some discussion about. Jesus and his nature, and whether or not he was an angel, uh, they had a fascination with angels back then, and certainly believed in angels back then. We have we have our own views of angels today. Sometimes they're biblical views, sometimes they're not biblical views at all. But these people back then had no trouble ag- acknowledging the angelic world, um, in, in particular if some of these people were coming from the the branch. Um, of Judaism uh, called the Pharisees. Pharisees believed in, in the angelic world for sure. And so he argues here, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is, is superior to theirs. So he's trying to set Jesus up by his language and present him as um. Uh, f- uh, uh, followable as God uh, with all these attributes and all these titles, the heir, the creator, the sustainer. And then he talks about this kind of unique relationship that Jesus has with God, and he says, well, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father? That's a quote from the Old Testament. Or again, he quotes another passage from the Old Testament, I will be his father, he will be my son. This is why we talk about Jesus being the son of God. He has this unique relationship with God because he is of the same essence as God. He is God in essence. And yet he has this relationship with God and is a distinct person from the father. So you have the father and the son in this relationship with each other, this unique relationship, yet they are both of the same essence, we we start thinking about the Trinity when we talk about passages like this, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and, all, and, and, and that kind of concept. Difficult for some, but very clearly presented here. And he says here, verse 6, when God brings his firstborn, his um, that's a term that means first in rank, first in leadership. He says, let all God's angels worship him. So angels are worshipers of Jesus, he's saying. And yet he distinguishes from angels again in speaking of angels he says he makes his angels winds and his servants flames of fire all these quotes from the old testament trying to show the difference between jesus and 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 angels a clear clear distinction probably in that day these people were wondering about that i know even today i've had um Arguments and conversations, uh, especially with Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, some of whom believe that Jesus is an angelic being and not uh, does not have the essence of God, but it is, he's some kind of angel. And I've always directed them to this passage. Uh, but about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. I mean, he's clearly trying to present Jesus. Again, creator, sustainer, um, uh, superior to angels, the unique son of God, and ultimately the one, the only God eternal in the beginning, O Lord, he says. And this is with reference to Jesus. You lay the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. The author is claiming that the hands there are Jesus' hands. They will perish, but you remain. I mean, that would give you a lot of confidence through all of the things that are happening in life, through all that's happening on planet Earth you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a piece of clothing that gets old. You're going to roll them up like a robe. They're all going to be changed, but you will remain the same, and your years will never end. Sometimes people ask the question, who created God? No one. God is the uncreated uh, source of everything. He is uh, the the uh, creator of what we see, but he's not created, and neither is Jesus. The, 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 there's an eternality to God, no beginning, no middle, no ending, and this is being uh, uh, kind of argued here almost like a lawyer Uh, To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand? Again, pulling out these quotes from the Old Testament. Why is he doing this? Because he wants these Hebrew believers to get a firm foundation as to who they're following and why it is so incredibly important that they see him as God, not as an angel, not only as a man, But as God, you say, well, why is that important for me today? It sounds just like a kind of a theological in-house debate from the first century that we're watching here in chapter one of Hebrews. Well, it matters greatly for us because depending on who Jesus is, is going to affect your life today and your life tomorrow. If Jesus is not God, then he is a deceiver then the things that he said were deceptive. It's interesting, Paul and all the other people who opposed Jesus at the time, they, they did not have a difficulty believing that he said the things that he said or did the things that he did. That wasn't the problem. The problem was not, well, you know, we don't really know if he did the miraculous there. No, they saw it with their own eyes. But for them, it was, where's this coming from? Who's the source of this? this stuff that's happening here and in their view he was a deceiver and those miraculous things that he did in their view they happened but they happened by the powers of darkness not by the powers of God that's w- that's how strongly they felt that he was a deceiver if he is not God and if his nature is not that of deity then he's then he, he is false then he is a deceiver because Everything that he said was centered around himself, his nature, and it's he cannot save if he is not God. So if he's not God and we're believing in him, we're basically now deceiving ourselves because we've tricked ourselves into thinking that we now have a relationship with God and our sins have been forgiven by God and we're on our way to an eternity with God All of that is false if what Jesus said and who Jesus was is false. So it hinges on him. It's not just, well, this is a theological thing. It doesn't really matter. No, no, no. It matters, and it matters greatly. And he's trying to to preach this to them so that they get the picture and that they would hold on to that reality. Controversial as it was in their day, and it's still controversial today. Uh, when a when a Jewish person um, comes to Christ, as it were, it's still viewed the same way by many many people within Judaism. Take it from me; I've gone through the experience myself, and it's sort of like, whoa, you've gone over to the to the dark side, you know? You've betrayed your your heritage. You have betrayed your religion. You have. It, because you believe, you follow this Jesus as if he's God. So it's a huge, huge thing. It's, a, it's a, uh, a, I'll say the word salvific. Whether or not you believe that Jesus is God affects your eternal destiny. It affects your salvation whether or not he's God. And again, it's not just whether or not you believe it, it's whether or not He is. And that's why we talk about the resurrection as being so important, because that justifies the claim of Him being God. So how do you apply this to your life uh, today? The hardest thing for us today uh, is, is probably not so much the theology you know, of Jesus and His deity. It probably isn't even so much the idea of the Trinity and God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's probably not that. The hardest part for us today is to release uh, the throne of our lives and give it to someone else and to actually worship someone else besides ourselves or, you know, what we've sort of constructed in life Every single person uh, who's, who's watching and uh, people, uh, regardless of their faith system, they've got something or someone calling the shots of their lives. There's a narrative in their head. There's a vision in their head. There's something that's driving them, that's leading them, uh, that's on the throne. And all of us have that throne within our hearts. Uh, the question is, who's on it? And the hardest thing for us is to give it up and to let Jesus be on the throne of our lives. I mean, wow, you know, it would be one thing if it was, uh, you know, money or if it was materialism or a, another person or a relationship or, or, or something like that. But to have Jesus on the throne of your life. I mean, you can't even see Jesus. You can't even have a a conversation the same way, at least, that you would have with another person who you can see. And, you know, you're expected to put him on the throne of your life. Yes, and that's why the author of Hebrews is saying this is critical, critical, critical to your soul. So I'd like the band if they would uh, come back to their places and you guys can get ready to play. But I just want to have a a time of prayer with you as we've introduced this, because I I think that just that basic idea of, look, the final word uh, from God, it's his son. And he wants um, you to have his son on the throne of your life. Um, you've, you've lived through your life with maybe other things on that throne. Maybe you've put something on, taken it off, put something else on, taken it off. And what he wants is for Jesus to have the place there. And for him to be your leader, your Lord, uh, your Savior, he, he wants Jesus first in your life. And maybe you've been going to church for a long time and or online church or whatever. And maybe you call yourself a person of faith, but you know how hard that struggle can be where other things can sort of push Jesus out of the way and other things get on the throne there. And he's not really being worshipped anymore. He's kind of second place, third place, fourth place. And, oh, yeah, we'll pick it back up on Sunday morning on the weekend kind of thing. No, he wants to be first in your life every day, every moment of your life. And That's hard. So, God, I pray that you would help us to realize and, uh, God, you would open our eyes and you would illuminate us to the truth that no matter what we try to put in there, no matter what we try to fill our heart with and put on, this, on the throne of our lives, we're going to come up empty over and over and over. We're going to keep running to, to uh, uh, relationship after relationship or material thing after material thing or job after job or career after career or... Vacation to vacation, trying to find something that's going to satisfy us and something that will sustain us. And Lord, help us to understand that it's you and you're right here. It's not a mystery. You're right here wanting to take first place in our lives. Help us, God, to just say, Jesus, I submit to you and worship you and put you first You're not uh, simply a man. You're not an angel. But you are my God.